providing real solutions for real business challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, Season 4. Conversations with professionals across the country, exploring business topics and empowering personal growth in real estate, financial services, and the title insurance industry. Well, thanks everyone for joining us here today for another uh, edition of FNF Unplugged. And really happy to have uh, here with us today, Camelia Martin. Camelia is the Vice President for E-Mortgage Strategy and Industry Affairs at SnapDocs. And uh, she knows so much more than I will ever know about the uh, technology of things like eNotes and why they're so critical. And we're gonna talk about that here today. But Camelia, just to start off, you know, how did you get in this position? Because again, I don't think you uh, in kindergarten, uh, when asked what you wanted to do, you said, I really want to work on e-mortgage strategies. <laughs> I love this question. Um, you know, Chuck, when I started talking, e-mortgage was, was actually my first word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. As you can imagine, in reality, I didn't even know what the word e-note or e-mortgage even meant when I first started out in our industry. That was back in 2005, and I was on my way to law school, and I was looking for what I thought was going to be an easy sort of bridge job. I could make some money. I could study for the LSAT, and I saw a Craigslist ad, yes, Craigslist, that said, I'm kind of dating myself there, right? And it said something like, mortgage industry utility seeks front desk administrative assistant. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is brainless. And that was MERS at the time. And today, probably more commonly known as ICE Mortgage Technology. So I got the job, but within a few weeks, the GC heard that I was going to law school, offered me a role in legal as a paralegal. And that was really my real introduction to our industry. I started looking at lawsuits, hundreds of lawsuits every day, trying to make sure they were run of the mill, service of process. You know, nobody was attacking the MERS business model, which was really common at the time. And from there, I just sort of dove right in. I, I learned a ton. I was there for about 14 years and I, I did everything, I think, at some point other than IT and accounting. But what really caught my attention was there was this other registry that MERS was operating that nobody really knew much about or talked about. Uh, actually, some people in the company didn't even know what it was or that it existed. It was called the MERSI registry. At the time, you know, e-close and e-note adoption wasn't a conversation. It was super low. And the more I dug in, I just saw that this was a huge opportunity for our industry. And I was probably just curious and stubborn enough to spend the time to, to make sure I understood it and to learn as much as we could. And then, you know, ultimately ended up just doing things to help advance the adoption of it. So you've really been in this channel but really pretty much through your professional career, which I have to say is unusual for most people because a lot of them, like our mutual friend, Brian Webster, when he went to the CFPB, um, you know, he said, well, you know, the reason he went to the CFPB was because he needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's really interesting. And, you know, and, and your background on this is so broad, as you say, you've done, you know, everything except, uh, you know, fix the computers at the office. Most of our listeners are familiar with e-notes, but an awful lot really aren't. And there are probably a few who think they are, but really probably aren't also. Can you just give us a real basic sort of primer about how they work? And, uh, you know, and we'll talk about their value. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. When you're not in our industry and someone says, what's the 
What's the product that comes out of a mortgage closing? I think most folks would say it's the real estate. It's the real estate that's changing hands or, you know, maybe not now, but usually a better interest rate. But as we all know, the primary asset that's actually being created is the note. It's arguably the most important doc that's being executed at the closing. It's the same asset that's being bought and sold and securitized. And they're negotiable instruments. So when notes are bought and sold, they're endorsed and they're physically delivered to a purchaser, just like a check, just to the extent, you know, people even write those anymore. I think between Craigslist and the check, people are going to think I'm, I'm a prehistoric <laughs> here, but, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but it's scary to think that, you know, with, with all this value that that document has, more than 90% of them are still executed in wet ink and on paper. And the reality is that's not just risky, but it's super expensive for our industry. To really answer your question more directly, you know, an e-note is just the digital equivalent of a paper note. It's created, it's presented, it's executed and transferred electronically, but it's got all the same key terms that you'd otherwise see in a paper note. It's got some additional language, obviously, that identifies it as an e-note and has some, some specific clauses that are unique to e-notes. But what we know is that the note being digitized, all of the risks that are otherwise just inherent to anything that exists in paper are mitigated. So you've got manual processes eliminated and you've got lenders that are saving hundreds of dollars per loan, literally by just digitizing this single document. Well, and that cost effectiveness is so important. Um, I mean, you and I both know, cause we go to a lot of MBA meetings and that, uh, well, there was a dip in the cost of origination during COVID. That cost has now gone up to a record high of, what, over $10,000 to originate a loan. So saving even a few hundred dollars is really critical to a lender, isn't it? Absolutely. In kind of breaking news, I, I wasn't sure I was going to be ready to have this data to share with you today. But, but one of the biggest challenges that we hear is, you know, I, I want to do e-notes. I want to do e-notes at scale. But, you know, I've got a pretty wide mix of investors, you know, and I sell best acts and, and I don't always know where that loan's going to go post-closing. And I thought you'd find this interesting, but we did a case study with a large IMV where we took 26 or so thousand loans that they had delivered into the secondary market over a 90 day period. And we said, okay, if we take the capital and operational efficiencies that would be gained uh, if those loans were closed as Eno, we took the exact same bids that the IMB received from investors. And let's assume they were all e-notes. If they had delivered them as e-notes and still taken a, a hit on best X pricing, where would they have come out? And what I thought was fascinating is something we, we kind of have thought to be true, but really didn't have the data to back it up. But, but they were still coming out about five bips ahead even when they were taking a hit because of best X pricing. And more than half of the time, I think it was roughly 60% of the time, the higher bids were still coming from E-Note eligible investors. So that just goes to show you that like, there's so much education that needs to happen for this to really take hold because you know, there's obviously the implementation, there's the technical aspects, there's all the, the change management, but, but really this needs to cascade into how we think about the profitability of a loan and and what what that true 
you know, the true value of that loan can be in the secondary market above and beyond just that bid price. That's a huge number. When a lender is handling that many transactions, as you well know, it, it can only be, you know, it, it can be a much smaller dollar amount. But at the end of the day, aggregated, it's a huge amount of money. Huge. Um, yeah. And of course, right now, lenders would like to maximize that amount of money again, because the costs of originating loan have has gone up so much. And of course, there aren't as many loans to originate, at least at this point in time, as certainly what we've seen in the last uh, few years. But, you know, you touched on some of the obstacles or at least perceived obstacles for e-note adoption. Could you, you know, sort of expound on that a little bit as far as, you know, what you've seen and when someone has raised their hand and said, well, I don't think we should do e-notes because uh, it sounds like, you know, rum Romanism and rebellion here and we should stop this. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in the past, the biggest challenge was really liquidity. You know, there were GSCs have been doing this for accepting e-notes for more than a decade, but we really needed the federal home loan banks on board. We needed Jenny May on board. We needed warehouse lenders and correspondent investors. But over the last few years, uh, and I'd say COVID was probably the biggest propellant, the fear of not being able to have in, you know, fear's a funny thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. back to, <laughs> uh, more decisively and quickly in many ways. But yeah, the fear of just, you know, not even the closings were happening. You know, they were happening, life finds a way, right? They were doorstep closings and drive-through closings. The the simple fear of not being able to have an in-person closing was enough for folks to start thinking about e-close and e-note as something that, you know, I don't need to get into a time machine to do this. And there really is substantive acceptance across all market segments with e-note for conventional loans. Part of the the work that we did that I was just describing on on e-note profitability was we looked at, you know, sometimes lenders are like, oh, but not enough of my loan products or investors are, are e-note eligible. And so to sort of debunk that, we took a number of lenders and we we did something that we call like an e-eligibility analysis of their pipeline. And more than half, uh, actually it was closer to 40% at a minimum, most of the lenders we looked at, 40% of their pipeline was e-note eligible. But you get caught up in things like, oh, but ROM adoption and e-recording adoption. And so sometimes people can confuse all of these different elements and think that they're necessary to do an e-note. And so part of it is just educating educating people that e-note is still a possibility. You can do it in all 50 states. You can do it with the vast majority of your loan products. You don't have to do it as a full e-closing with remote online notarization if you're not ready for that. And I think the other big myth that we're still working on, and I'd say is still a big obstacle is, you know, people think of the investment as something that, well, unless I can get to 80% or 90%, I'm not going to see the ROI. Um, But what we've seen is as soon as lenders hit close to 10%, even as little as 10% e-note adoption, they start to see really real tangible results and returns on their investments in the technology. Well, and that's so critical. Um, you know, I remember being on a webinar be- just before COVID started with uh, Joe Murin, you know, who ran Jenny May back uh, in the uh, W years. And Joe's comment was, he said, when a lender announces they're going to spend X million dollars in technology, he said, maybe 10% of it is on operations, and the rest is on sales and marketing. And uh, and he said, and that's part of the reason when when COVID hit, a lot of lenders were suddenly all at sea because it's like, well, they never really planned 
for that backup contingency. But but you know, it seems today that more lenders are looking at those operational savings and realize that's that that's a real key to their bottom line, isn't it? Absolutely. And just the ability to have to increase capacity, decrease capacity quickly is so costly. Um, and that's that's another big thing that the technology can really support is giving you that stability of, you know, as we have these ebbs of flows, not having to increase and decrease headcount so rapidly to, to meet it. Well, and I remember, again, uh, we had uh, Shane Hartzler, uh, our mutual friend, uh, on the podcast here. And this was in December of 2020 when Shane was still at Fannie. And we were talking about uh, Enos. And, of course, that was after COVID started. And Shane said, oh, yeah, we were suddenly you know, flooded in March and April and May. Um, lenders, especially community lenders, not the banks and the people who normally work with us, but people we hadn't heard from before who were looking for eVault partners and eVault accessibility for eNotes. And he said, we sort of expected that. But he said, what we didn't really expect was that when these lenders decided to go to eNotes, they were all in and never went back to paper. Is that sort of what you've seen? Absolutely. I've never seen anyone get to substantive adoption and, and then decide they want to take a step back. The, the times that you see sort of a, what I'll call like a false start is when a lender focuses almost entirely on the technology implementation and doesn't actually do, you know, the changes to their plumbing to, to do this at scale um, and to do it meaningfully. Like, I, I think if you don't take the time to make your e-closing process as, as easy, or frankly, it should be easier than your paper closing process, you're not going to get the internal adoption. And you really do need everybody on board. So, you know, I think this is like an example of, you know, you, you, all the way from the LO, closing staff, exec teams, if everyone understands the why, the goals are clear, you know, it's better for borrowers, it's better for business, but really also like what is their role that they need to play in helping the, the organization make this transition? Those are just examples of, you know, when you look at lenders that do this well and lenders that don't, I always say like take the same amount of time you did vetting tech implementing the tech, that and more or almost double really should be spent on all of the change management to make this thing real and sticky. Yeah, so, uh, and, and I remember uh, MBA and I can't remember, it was someone I think from the Rocket organization, but the comment was that, uh, well, the, the, the paper changed, but not the paperwork. But what you're describing is like the paperwork has to change as well. Oh, for sure. You hear all sorts of funny stories about someone getting e-notes and then printing them out, you know, and mailing them, <laughs> right? Because that's what they're used to doing, or you know, they they want they want the hard copy, or or even though you can automatically validate the data in an e-note because it's just data, you know, and you can kind of compare it with your internal loan delivery systems or internal systems of record, you still hear about people doing stare and compare, and so th that's absolutely right. It's like if you if you take something and you put it in place, but you're not actually putting it in place and taking advantage of the benefits, you're, you're not going to reap the rewards. And you've said so much about some of these key elements of the successful E-Note implementation. Are there other things as well that you've come across because uh, you've had such a wide experience in regard to that maybe you haven't touched on? Yeah, I'd say the other thing that like lenders that, that have really been successful at this do well is they do start small. They'll start with 
If they haven't been doing hybrid e-closings where, you know, the non-critical docs are being e-signed, starting there is really smart. You know, you can get a lot of uniformity in your process. You can typically go hybrid across 100% of your pipeline as opposed to just trying to go in and do sort of a big bang type of implementation and go from, from zero to, oh, we want to do, we're not going to do e-close unless we can do all wrong. Um, well, you're never going to get off the ground and you're never going to really see success there. But when they start with hybrid, incrementally add e-note, you know, now you still don't have any state or county specific restrictions to consider, you know, and then you sort of layer on e-notarization. That's been the path that, that I've seen to be most successful. And really, again, it's like, don't set up the process to be scotch tape and bubble gum, because if all day long your closers and everyone else on your team is doing something a certain way, but wait for an e-note closing, I got to do all these things differently and I got to hold my finger here to make sure it works. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. It, It's just, it's never going to give your organization the benefits that you're trying to reap in the first place. And adoption will off, often suffer, but also if, if you don't get this process right and anything happens to delay that closing, often nothing to do with it even being an e-closing, you know, LOs still have a ton of influence over this process. We need them on board. And, you know, if, if I'm an LO, I care about paramount to me is that loan closes and it closes on time. So if there's, you know, I, I heard a, a VP of, of closing tell me one time, doesn't matter what goes wrong. It has nothing to do with it being an e-close. But if there's something that goes wrong that delays the closing and an e-note is involved, inevitably the LO might blame the fact that it was a different type of closing. And so, you know, she, this, you know, I'll protect the innocent here, but she said to me, she does so much to make sure that she protects the reputation of this process internally because that buy-in is just so important. So it's the old blue-eyed cow versus brown-eyed cow argument uh, from law school. Uh, that, uh, uh, yeah, that uh, yeah. If, if if it went wrong, it's because of that. Um, I haven't heard that cow story. Oh, you never heard that. Oh well, you know, sometimes yeah. when, when we have more time, I'll, I'll fill in. <laughs> but uh, you know, and 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 my favorite story about how technology really changed, uh, you know, the country was the first steamship went down the Mississippi River, and it uh, in I think eighteen eleven or something, and and it went by, past the town of New Madrid, Missouri, and the next day there was a massive earthquake in New Madrid, and they blamed the steamship. So we know there had to be a connection. Uh, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, and, and talking about this, you know, and, and cybersecurity is always a big concern, especially for title and settlement providers. And, and I've heard so many title and settlement providers saying, well, you know, the more, the more we go to, you know, electronic and digital, you know, the more problems we're going to have. But it seems to me like this actually reduces the amount of problems in cybersecurity when you're using an e-note. Does that sound right? I'm always careful when I answer this question because I, I don't want to diminish the the importance of, of InfoSec. I, I think you're right. There's there's always going to be InfoSec concerns. We we have to stay hyper vigilant. But the harsh reality is that all of the data that's needed to originate the loan, it, it's all already in the cloud way before we even get to the closing process. Um, so that risk really exists whether you're you're doing a digital closing or an e note or not. But I think you're absolutely right. In many ways, if we're thinking about what we're actually trying to protect, there are way better controls around, uh, you know, who can access a consumer's PII when it's not in hard copy. 
uh, way better methods to say, you know, is this really the right individual um, that should have access to this data, to these docs, uh, audit trails that capture, you know, each and every interaction and milestone down to the IP address of the user. And this is stuff we will never have with a paper closing. Um, I heard a, a story, it wasn't as good as your steamboat story, but I heard a story one time about someone in our industry that it's a funny thing about being in our industry. Like you, you just see everything through our lenses, right? You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're just kind of focused on it, but um, they walked into a FedEx Kinko's and they, they needed to make some, some Xerox copies for their kid's school for something. And they came across a big pile of closing documents that they were, they were sure a mobile notary like needed to print for a closing. And they were saying, you know, there was just stuff all over these docs and they were just sitting there on this, on this big commercial, you know, printer and had been there forever. And clearly somebody had either made another copy or walked out without it. But, but when you think about that, I think we'd all much rather have technical controls that protect access to this type of PII. And if I'm a lender and I'm thinking about like, what is it that I'm actually trying to protect? You also have to think about how comfortable are you when a wedding original can be, you know, accessed or viewed more often with less of an audit trail and less controls than than if it was um, than if it was a digital document, and or or even things like you know, we've all had mobile closings, but like you you have that moment where you're like you sign the wedding promissory note, and this incredible mobile notary who you know is a mom like me and has you know, all sorts of crazy stuff in the trunk of her car, the muddy soccer ball and the cleats. And there goes that pile of closing documents, including the original note in the trunk of the notary's car. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, so, so I think it's a, it's a topic that we still have to stay concerned with, but I don't view it as something that is unique or specific to a digital closing. And I think there's so many other things that it does protect against. Well, in your example, of course, too, uh, the, uh, uh, computerized uh, uh, data is uh, uh, that was run on that copy machine in the FedEx office uh, is still on that computer too. So uh, that's more good news. It's just it's not just the papers laying around. It's it's still on the machine. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Real quickly here too, I know you're very much involved in MISMO and I always have to tell people that MISMO stands for the Mortgage Industry Standards Maintenance Organization because sometimes I forget what it stands for. What are some of the things that are going on in MISMO to help standardize and uh, simplify uh, process uh, such as, well, RON, nomenclature terms, things like that? Yeah, say Mortgage Industry Standards Maintenance Organization five times fast, right? Yeah. Uh, MISMO is like this like best kept secret of the industry, this small subsidiary of the MBA, you know, small mighty team. Uh, so nearly all of the work is is carried out by volunteers like you and me. And and it has it has such a critical role in helping our industry advance, not just the adoption of standards, but really technology, because without the standards, you don't have the interoperability. You often don't have the trust in the process or in the technology. So I, I co-chair a couple of work groups and we're working on things like updating remote online notarization standards, uh, developing eVault, eNote eVault system standards. And what I enjoy most about these groups is like you get this great mix of 
you know, we've got technologists, lawyers, policymakers, uh, ops teams, and you get this really good diverse perspective on all of this stuff. And it's, it's just like this perfect balance that you get to strike with putting standards in place that are you know, achievable, effective, but they're not so prescriptive or restrictive to the point where, you know, we're not able to be innovative or actually able to, to, you know, to make these types of advancements in our industry. So I'm a huge fan of MISMO. People have often thought I work for MISMO <laughs> because I, I do so much with them. But um, if you want to even just learn about some of the topics that are in our industry, you know, go sit into a MISMO work group and, and you'll be surprised how like all of the competitive dynamics, you'll be sitting right next to a vendor that you compete with or, you know, lenders that are big competitors. It all goes out sort of the window and everybody's really there to figure stuff out together. And, and you'll learn a ton of stuff just by sitting in those work groups. Well, I agree. And uh, commitments and policies and endorsements are also on uh, MISMO's uh, scheme to have that all available uh, on a digitalized process with fields to be filled in. Uh, I think a year from now is the eventual goal to have all of that available. And my, won't that make life so much easier? But but I, I just want to thank you so much for uh, you know being here with us today. It's hugely important. And I think so many people, and especially our listeners in the title and settlement, that they need to understand uh, if they're not doing uh, e-notes, if they're not working with lenders or e-notes, that they need to talk to their lenders who aren't doing e-notes and ask them why they're not doing them. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening here on another episode of FNF Unplugged. And have a wonderful day. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or any endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed in this podcast.